Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. It's time to take a trip into space and enjoy a brand new episode of the Middle Seats podcast. Welcome everybody to the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm the captain of this show, Andrew Ojay. Let's meet my co-pilots. It's absolutely marvelous being in a room with him, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Good to be back. Let's do it. Let's do it. And Here he's the full. <laughs> uh, you gotta get let me get the punchline out, man. First, <laughs> uh, he's the Thor of the Dark World of my life, Mr. Jake Hensler. Oh, that's even worse than what I was expecting. What did you think I was going? I with? thought you were gonna say something about how I'm like ugly, like a scroll or something. Oh, that just sounds mean. I'd rather that. I'm not unnecessarily <laughs> cruel like that. No, you gave me Thor the Dark World. <laughs> Your least favorite out of 21 Definitely Marvel worse. movies. <laughs> yeah, true. Great. Anyway, <laughs> if you are just joining us for the first time, which is very entirely possible because we haven't been recording for a while, but it's good to be back. The Middle Seats is a show divided into three segments. Our first segment, we kind of just pitch a topic and just go with it, like you talk in the lobby of a movie theater with lobby talk. Then go into the biggest news items of the week, depending on what it is. It could be a big trailer. It could be a big discussion, hot debate, big casting thing. We kind of have one of each this week. And then we get into our feature review of the week, first with a non-spoiler section, then with a spoiler section. This week, it is of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's latest feature, Captain Marvel. If you ever want to skip ahead to certain stories or certain things, there are time codes in the descriptions. Please don't be afraid to skip around, though we want to spend all the time with you as possible. A couple of other house cleaning things. We're now on Spotify and Stitcher. That adds to our repertoire of audio outlets that you can listen to us to, where we're already on YouTube, of course. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're everywhere. So you have no excuse not to listen to us. Exactly. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere. And if you don't already, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be sharing links and updates and everything on those places. Welcome to the Middle Seeds podcast, presented by no sponsor. But we'll get one eventually. So, guys, I think I've gotten everything out of the way that I wanted to get through. It kind of feels like a new season, doesn't it? A little soft reboot. Yeah, like a soft reboot. I like that. We retconned the past. We're, this is the X-Men Days of Future Past of the Middle Seeds Ooh, podcast. Oh, good choice. I like that movie. Yeah, that was, pretty, that was pretty good, right? Anyway, let's get into lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So this week's Lobby Talk is uh, about Antonio Brown being traded to the Raiders. Nate, what do you think? <laughs> Sports ball. Go. <laughs> JK, go ahead. So guys, this topic I'm proposing today is kind of based off of some news that was recently making its rounds around the internet. Um, and that's the fact that there is, I believe, one blockbuster video left in the entire world. Blockbuster video was the place to be, especially as a movie fan. You'd go there, you would rent these things called DV, is it DVDs? Is that it? I think it's that. And then VHS, or VHS, as I've heard them also <laughs> be called. And you would rent them, and you would then have to give them back to some guy in a blue sweater. Who was always less than thrilled. Who was always less than thrilled and possibly 
been watching Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure a little too much. But anyway, Blockbuster Video, it was the place to be for a long time as a movie fan. And then Netflix came and basically just kicked it to the curb. Hulu helped out. HBO set it on fire. Here we are. The streaming wars are going on right now, and physical media is kind of a dying art. So therefore, blockbusters have been closing all over the world. But that just got me nostalgic and thinking, like, what were the movies that we would either rent on VHS or we owned on VHS when we were growing up that we just wore out so much that some of us even broke the VHS physical form? Like, you know those movies that you just play so many times that they just get worn out or you don't rewind them correctly or you rewind them sloppily. Remember rewinding things, like, physically? Oh, boy. I remember being in charge of rewinding because my sisters didn't know how to work the buttons. <laughs> and so his technological competence began. I was going to say, doesn't that make so much sense? <laughs> yeah, now I get it. <laughs> it really does. At a young age, he seized right, it for himself. Right, we have Nate edit because I'm his younger sisters who don't know how to use it. <laughs> right, exactly. I posed this question to you guys earlier, and you guys have been thinking about it all day. What were the movies that had that kind of impression on you? Let's start with you, Jake. I just kind of remember, and I, I double check with my mom just in case, but a lot of the movies, well, she was like, oh, Barney. And I'm like, mom, that was when I was like two or three. I grew out of that eventually. Eventually. <laughs> but uh, I did watch a few Disney movies a lot. I watched Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Hercules, Tarzan, Robin Hood. Like, there were a few that I watched a lot, but I think the VHS I probably watched the most, I'd have to say Land Before Time. Hmm. As a kid, Land Before Time was like a fresh new take on dinosaurs that wasn't Jurassic Park eating people. It was like family-friendly dinosaurs. And I loved it. I just watched it like, honestly, I watched it until I shouldn't have been watching it anymore. Probably like, I don't know, fifth grade when I shouldn't have watched it anymore. I was still watching it. Uh, it's funny to me that the family-friendly dinosaur movie still has like a very major death in the first like 20, 25 minutes that could traumatize any child. It's true. I think it's more a statement on dinosaurs. That movie had like 13 sequels, didn't it? Yeah, I didn't get to all of them, but I watched one and two a lot, and then I think I watched the next couple, and then that was it. Mm -hmm. You know which one I watched a lot? Like number 11, when everything freezes and they all ostensibly should die but somehow survive. Oh, I probably saw that one. I think I saw that movie when I was too old because I wasn't really over the moon about it like a lot of kids nostalgically growing up were. Because I saw it probably like for the first time when I was 12 or 13. And I was like, wow, this Triceratops is really annoying. Like, I really don't <laughs> like her. And she sunk the whole movie for me. Actually, I almost <laughs> unintentionally had this kid bullied hard on the high school track team. He, he kind of <laughs> had like a unique face and a long neck. And I... I I kind of out of nowhere was like, he kind of looks like Littlefoot, and the entire team just stuck with it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, How do you Kevin. accidentally bully someone? <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean for it to get so popular, but it, it did stick. <laughs> what a disaster. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I guess Land Before Time really did shape me up until my high school years. <laughs> Nate, what's your choice? <laughs> All righty. There's a couple different options here. I think... The ones that I had to compromise and watch with my sisters the most often was Beauty and the Beast, which my dad can quote word for word because he sat through and watched most of it with us every single time. And Shrek, I think, was the mm. other popular one between the three of us. But I think one I got to pick, my personal favorite, was actually the Digimon movie. I I was <laughs> expecting you to say another Mon. Yeah, I, I watched the... the <laughs> first Pokemon movie a lot also, but Nate, I am beyond shocked. Maybe controversial, as I've already labeled myself as the Pokemon fan, but I've never been a huge fan of the show, 
mostly because I find Ash Ketchum incredibly annoying. <laughs> so even like the movie with Mewtwo and Lugia and all the like classic ones, I'm not huge fans of just because I find Ash incredibly cringy. The Digimon movie, on the other hand, has giant freaking dragons and space lasers and all this other cool stuff. They go into the internet and fight these awesome things and uh, the two coolest Digimon combine into this ultra Digimon in the mid-finale of the movie. It's effectively two movies in one. I've never watched much of anything of the actual Digimon show, but I had this VHS and I just remember plugging it into the VCR so often. One other little side note, that movie also featured an end credits to All-Star, which was also featured in Shrek. Oh, And man. I think it's safe to say young me unironically liked the song, <laughs> which is kind of terrifying looking back at now. Uh, I am so, so shocked by this pick. I feel like this is going to break the middle seat's internet. <laughs> It's like uh, the movie Interview when Eminem comes out as gay and people like freak out. That this is like yeah. the same thing. Where like, he I don't know how to take really this subtly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to take this. Nate's been hiding this his whole life. Well, Nate, I have a follow up question for you. Have you sure. seen any of the fifteen sequels that apparently exist, according to Wikipedia? No. <laughs> I I honestly couldn't even tell you any of the Digimon's names. Like I know they all end in Mon. Like that's just their thing. Mm. But I think I just really, really liked the animation, really liked the monsters. That was just me as a kid. <laughs> wow. Well, you were right, Nate. No one was going to have that one. <laughs> <laughs> no crossover there. Yeah. Like you guys, I have a bigger one, and then I have a more obscure one. The big one is pretty obvious. We've kind of even talked about it on past podcasts. The Lion King is a movie that I watched probably 20, 25 times growing up. It was so bad. One time, my dad had to go to, like, the hospital. Not for anything, like, serious. I think he just had, like, a stomach bug or something. And we literally took the VHS on the road with our portable VHS, like, TV, watched it in the back seat as my dad, like, got recovered. That's how much we loved watching Lion King, my sister and I. That's the big one. And I feel like that's not controversial. Millions and millions of people wore that one out. One that for randomly for me, and I think it was because it was one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters, and I was just, like, blown away by the fact that it exists, is, oddly enough, Stuart Little. Oh, Did you guys ever see the Stuart Little yeah. movie? Actually, that was one that I got at either Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. I remember Yeah. That. So we owned it. I think Nathan Lane played the cat, and the cat was, like, my favorite character, even though he was kind of sinister. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really know who Michael J. Fox was, but that's pretty cool that he was the mouse. Hugh Laurie's the dad. It's written by M. Night Shyamalan. Even then I knew. Wait, what? What? Yeah, you got. Oh, wait. Wow. <laughs> I think that's his twist right there. The fact that he wrote the movie. Yeah. How is, this never, ever come up. How do you fit that in conversation, Jake? Is he uncredited <laughs> on IMDb? I've never seen that. Yeah, no, it's not uncredited. And Stuart Little came out the same year, like a couple of weeks after Sixth Sense. M. Night, you okay? <laughs> Isn't that pretty funny? And by the way, Stuart Little is directed by the same director as The Lion King, uh, Rob Minkoff. It's just an enjoyable kids movie. It's pretty well done overall, actually. I really remember the boat scene pretty fondly. Oh, speaking of, you know what? Now, you're jogging my memory. You know what I watched a lot on uh, probably VHS? Cats and Dogs. It's the exact same cat, I think. Yeah, it that's is. probably what you're jogging my memory. Is. I watched that a lot. Yeah, except that cat's voiced by Sean Hayes, so bad cat. <laughs> <laughs> that movie has a weird cast, too. Isn't like Alec Baldwin one of the dogs? Sean Hayes is the cat. Tobey Maguire is the lead. Yes. 
That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Toby Maguire is the main. This was pre Spider Man too. They just hired Toby Maguire off of his acting skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched that a lot. It's been fun taking this nostalgic trip with you guys. I mean, this was like going to blast in the past here and remembering some of these movies. Some that, I, I, I mean, I didn't have to remember Cats and Dogs. But <laughs> anyway, that will do it for Lobby Talk yeah, tonight. we have to cap that now. <laughs> we need to move on to the biggest news of the week. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, let's talk about the DCEU. Again? I know, I know. But this is actually a pretty big one. Like, it's not even a minuscule story. So the state of the DCEU, of course, Aquaman did really well. We cared for it at varying degrees. Some of us liked it better than others. Shazam, at the time of recording, is set to be released in a couple of weeks. That's been getting some nice early buzz. So that's good for them. But they've kind of, in the last couple of months, given us idea of what their next few films will be. Birds of Prey with Harley Quinn and a bunch of other female baddies. Wonder Woman 2, of course. There's a lot of movies coming out from the DCU. They're kind of getting their stuff together. There's like seven different Joker movies being in, in production. <laughs> yeah, true. I forgot that movie's coming this year. But one of the big ones that are surely going to make its way to theaters is Suicide Squad 2, or The Suicide Squad, as it's called, because they're cool now. Soft reboot, just like the middle seats. <sighs> Andrew, scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you? How many letters are in The? T-H-E, 3. 3 out of 10. There we go. But there are some things they're trying to turn the corner. Um, James Gunn, he wrote and will direct Suicide Squad 2. The Suicide Squad, sorry. Whatever you want to call it. It really doesn't matter. But one of the big pieces that's going to be swapped out, Will Smith will not be returning as Deadshot. And especially with recent news coming out that this movie's plot is basically going to be centered around Deadshot. So he's obviously an important character. And they've replaced Will Smith with Idris Elba. So he can't be James Bond, but he can be a superhero. So that's pretty fun for him. Villain. Villain, quote unquote. You know what I mean. Anyway, this is a pretty big swap out because this is the main character of the franchise. And this is a big actor replacing another big actor right at the mm -hmm. top of the franchise. And I'm sure we're seeing a lot of that shifting, especially when they have to recast Batman. But guys, what do you think of this replacement? And are you excited at all for the Suicide Squad? Nate, let's start with you. Yeah, so the first initial comparison just going through other superhero movies is the swap from Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo for Avengers as the Hulk slash Bruce Banner. But that was a very C-tier Marvel movie as they were just getting their feet off the ground. Right. And he wasn't the main character per se when he finally got his time to shine in Avengers. When people, especially fans, look back at Suicide Squad... They're going to point at Will Smith and Margot Robbie as the best parts of the movie. You're taking away one half of the only good ingredients from that, that stew, if you will. But then again, you're also replacing that person with Idris Elba, who's awesome. So I'm tentatively excited. I think DC has a fun out here, just if they embrace the comic booky aspect of it all. Not necessarily like pulling a Deadpool and flat out referencing, hey, you look different from when I last saw you. <laughs> um, but they could definitely play to that degree, I think, a little bit. And most people won't bat an eye. I think it's a good move because I don't think Will Smith is as marketable as he once was. We'll see how Aladdin does, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. Jake? I would love 
for anybody listening to comment on what kind of stew they think Suicide Squad is. <laughs> Probably trash, but... <laughs> <laughs> A trash stew. <laughs> I really have no idea what to expect from The Suicide Squad. The only reason that I might have hope is because they got James Gunn, who has obviously did very well with Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. He's obviously a very talented director and works well with ensemble cast, which is exactly what Suicide Squad needs. Replacing Will Smith, like Nate said, huge loss. But they got Idris Elba, who, even in not good movies, he's good. He's always good. He's always on. He's always got this crazy charm, cool charisma about him. I think that's a great choice if they have to replace Will Smith. But other than that, the first one was not a good movie. So I have no idea what to expect or where they would even go, but hopefully James Gunn can, you know, redirect them in a good way. Because I don't often root for movies to fail other than Fifty Shades of Grey. So if James Gunn can do a good job and we can get a good Suicide Squad movie, then hey, okay. Do you guys remember how excited we all were? So much. We were so excited. I did not want to hate that movie like I did. And the Mm. first time I watched it, I was like, Okay, that wasn't good. And then I saw it again, like, two days later, and I was like, oh, my God, what did they do? Oh, no, I remember walking out of that theater livid. (laughs) I did not need a second viewing, and I still had it. (laughs) I just couldn't believe it. I was flabbergasted. I remember coming home, and my my mom came downstairs, and she was like, how was your movie? And I kind of paused for a second, and I was like, I'm looking for reasons to like it, and I'm coming up short. Yeah. And she was like, that doesn't sound good. I'm like, no, it's not. But I think that is kind of for the best if they're going to be doing all this recasting stuff. That's exactly my point. Yeah, Yeah. that's where I was going with that, because it's like, if there's any movie in that uh, universe that you can just nuke, that's the one. Amen. If you're going to recast a major role, this is less damaging than, say, recasting Batman, because Ben Affleck didn't realize what he was getting himself into. This is much much less damaging and this might be a little controversial but Idris Elba's a better actor than Will Smith. I agree hands down. I think that Idris Elba can rock the emotional scenes leagues better than Will Smith can. Like Will Smith had that little backstory with his daughter and it was just kind of hard to parse that through all like the sarcastic wit that Will Smith just has. Period. Like you can't shake it off. Idris Elba he can act. Right. Would Idris Elba have been a better fit for a James Gunn-less Suicide Squad? And would Will Smith be a better fit for a James Gunn Suicide Squad? That's you know what I mean? Ooh. I'm throwing it out there. I'm not saying for sure. Idris Elba will do great in this role. I do think so. And I think this movie will be better. I- I'm not going to let myself fall into the trap again. No, it has to earn it back. Right. Yeah. It has to earn it back. DC has to have a good movie for me to trust them again. <laughs> yeah. We haven't had a great movie yet. <laughs> Well, we might find out in a couple weeks that that might change when we're probably going to be talking about Shazam. But for now, let's move off of the DCEU. Let's move into a completely different topic here. Netflix. Of course, in the interim time between our last recording and this recording you're listening to right now, Netflix's Roma won a bunch of awards at the Academy Awards, but ultimately fell short of the main prize, losing to Green Book, which I mean, that... We don't have time to unpack all of that. Yeah, but <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Netflix has been fighting for credibility, and this will be another big step for them this year. They have a freaking Martin Scorsese movie coming out this year as they take steps forward towards Oscar Gold. Not everybody thinks they should be eligible for Oscar Gold, though. One of the people very anti-Oscars for Netflix has been Steven Spielberg, of all people. Now, of course, he's a classic auteur, blockbuster director, one of the best of all time. But he has been very firm in his stance that Netflix should compete for Emmys, not Oscars. And I'll read a direct quote right here. 
once you commit to a television format, you're a TV movie. You certainly, if it's a good TV show, deserve an Emmy, but not an Oscar. I don't believe films that are just given token qualifications in a couple of theaters for less than a week should qualify for the Academy Award nomination. Very controversial, very strong comments from one of the top directors of all time. Now, since then, he's kind of not recanted, but kind of softened his comments. But those were the straight out the gate, putting his opinion out there about Netflix. And usually that's the opinion that means the most. You know what I mean? Like that gut reaction one. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is quite a debate that has been going on for years now. Jake, where do you stand on this? Should Netflix movies be eligible for Emmys or Oscars? I think Spielberg's view on it is very black and white. I mean, if I was ever to somehow talk to him, I would probably just shake my head yes, because I'm not going to argue with Spielberg. But I think that's a very black and white view, because it's clearly a movie, and Netflix has movies on it. It's a streaming website, and as unbelievable of a director and mind as Spielberg has, I think he's missing something. Netflix started off as a television format. They are now advancing and you know, adapting to the future. And I get the whole movie should be shown in the theater. Movies like Roma and Interstellar and Dunkirk and stuff like that should be on the big screen. They should be on the best format. I agree with all that. But if a different production company or however you want to say it produces something in a different format than you're used to, doesn't mean it doesn't qualify for, you know, movie awards. Like Roma was is a movie. Alfonso Cuaron made it as a movie. It's not a television movie, but it, it easily could have been shown in a theater and been fine. It's not a TV movie like High School Musical or something like that. I think that's kind of insulting for him to, you know, call it a TV movie, actually. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the qualifications are, but if it's a movie and it's a great one, let it be a movie. It's not hurting you, Spielberg. You've done very well for yourself and still are. That's the thing that was weird about his tone is it feels like he feels threatened. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're in your 70s, you've you're already one of the greatest of all time. You're still doing well. Like, there's really no need for him to be so mad about this. Right. Nate, what do you think about all this? If I was to meet Spielberg, I would definitely push back a little bit. I don't understand the hate. So labeling something as a TV movie versus a film movie as something that qualifies for Emmys versus Oscars, it just sounds so overly pretentious and dumb to me. If you have a singular piece of media that is, let's say, arbitrarily over an hour long, you are qualified for the Oscars. That's at least my my preference. And you could probably even make the argument that it can be shorter. And we already do have short films submitted to the Oscars. There are lots of things that I feel like aren't most commonly viewed on the big screen. Like, I bet you 99% of people that watch the Oscars don't watch their short films or the animated shorts in a theater. They watch them at home where they're available, Yeah. you know? (laughs) As long as people see your content, that's what's important because it's appreciating the art so yeah I, I don't agree with spielberg here i think that it's a very outdated way of looking at the world the whole industry is moving towards streaming look how quickly marvel movies get onto netflix when they're out of theaters people want to just watch movies it doesn't matter where you watch them it's how you can watch them like think about the production value of marvel star wars game of thrones and those are all on television It's not this outdated medium anymore. Spielberg has this idea, I think, of TV as like cheers and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is way different than it was. A couple of things that you guys said that I kind of want to expand on that I think is interesting. Nate, you brought up a good point about watching the short films at home. But even for the Oscars, 
Like, how many people just don't get a chance to go to the theater and they'll watch really important nominated films on screeners, on DVDs that they get? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't make it less a movie. There are certain movies that are nominated that are only in theaters for two days. (laughs) Exactly. I do like the qualification for it to be nominated for the big awards. I do think it has to have gone to theaters for some amount of time. Like, I don't think it should be straight to streaming. You know what I mean? There should be at least an attempt at a theatrical run so that it could expand. But it doesn't invalidate it as a movie, even if it doesn't ever make it there. You know what I mean? Spielberg is missing a huge, huge point here. He's equating Netflix with a lesser quality. And that's not necessarily true. Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, they exist so that more people can watch these movies. They're distributors. They buy things so that more eyes are attracted to the best possible movies. Well, how many people would have seen Roma if it was just an independently distributed film? Not as many people that saw it on Netflix, but it's an amazing film that deserved to have people's attention. There is a disconnect, I think, with the older audiences that they think that just because you can watch it at home, as opposed to going to the theater, makes it a lesser film. But that's just not how the economics of the freaking business work anymore. I can almost guarantee people who don't go to the movies as often anymore will see the Best Picture nominees and go to their Apple TV and just rent a couple of them. Times are changing, and just because a movie is owned by a streaming company does not make it streaming fall asleep and watch on your laptop quality. It's It seems like common sense to us, but it doesn't appear to be for an older generation. Right. Old man yells at Cloud. Exactly. Speaking of movies that old men like because it is old, the original Aladdin. That, that was a C-minus <laughs> transition. definitely bottom tier transition I've ever heard from you, Joe. <laughs> I saw the effort. I was trying to do like the old motif. The original Aladdin is kind of old now. What is it, 20... Six years old, something like that, 1992. It's crazy. And and Nate especially, I know, he gasped there because it's one of his favorite movies. So it's getting the big screen treatment. And it's been a very contentious trip towards its May 24th release date. We finally got a full-length trailer. Let's take a listen. I can make you rich. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Watch this. Watch out! Uh, you done wound me up. You ain't never had a friend like me. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in Make Me a Prince. Really? I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me? Don't you dare close your eyes. Hold your breath, it gets better. Let me share this whole new world with you. That was a snippet of the trailer for Aladdin, which is directed by Guy Ritchie, of course, known for Snatch and Sherlock Holmes and the oh, most recent right. King Arthur. I forgot he was directing it. I don't know how you could forget after watching that trailer because <laughs> it's 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 got a lot of the same camera motions. Yeah, as... I just forgot he was behind it. Right. Of course, the big change in the cast wise, they actually went with an all ethnic cast, which is good. Yes. Not a lot of whitewashing here, if any. Big change, of course, is that Robin Williams no longer can obviously play the genie because he tragically passed away. Will Smith replacing him. 
So that has gotten a lot of opinions on the internet <laughs> as we turn back around to Will Smith for the second time in this news segment. <laughs> Let's just jump right into this. And Nate, as a huge Aladdin fan, what did you think of this trailer? Well, I will say this gave me a little bit more hope than the teaser trailer. Actually seeing the genie in motion gave me like glimmers of sunshine in what has been a fairly depressing next round of these live action reboots. If you're a longtime listener, I've made my opinions very clear. I do not like these movies. You don't need to retell stories that are already told perfectly the first time around. And you especially don't need to tell the story the exact same way. And that's what this still looks like to me in a lot of aspects is just a watered down version scene for scene, song for song. Let's just make the same thing that worked. So highlights. We got to see more of Will Smith as a genie. I think at the very least, he will be fun. I've heard a lot of comparisons to the Broadway version, and Will Smith seems to be taking a lot of, maybe not intentionally, but just taking a lot of that side of the character because those actors on Broadway didn't want to emulate Robin Williams just because you can't copycat a legend, period. Mm, so yeah. make your own version. So yeah. I think it's good that they're doing that. What I'm still not happy with, and I was definitely nervous after the teaser trailer, but just completely cemented here, is that Jafar seems so dull. He just speaks like a normal guy. Jafar was over-the-top evil and twisted, and it was so much fun between him and Iago. That was just so fun and iconic to the original, and this just seems so boring. Yeah, he's like Arab Dinkelberg. Like, ugh. We, we honestly didn't really get that much of Aladdin and Jasmine, and I'm a little worried that the acting there is going to be a little flat too, but it is only a trailer, so I'm not going to pose any judgment there. But yeah, it just, it just seems so factory setting. Like, you press the quick select button, it prints out this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Michael Bay formula then. A little less explosion, a little bit more giant parrot. <laughs> right, like the, the, the Michael Bay <laughs> factory setting is when you take the printer and shake it, throw it out a window, and then it falls into a toxic vat of acid, and then it becomes Transformers the last night. So I think that's the comparison I'm running with there. Jake, Jake what did you think? <laughs> yeah, I liked Aladdin a lot as a, as a kid as well. But as far as Will Smith goes, I don't think he's a bad choice either. It's just kind of like the go in knowing it's not going to be the original. Actually, that goes for the whole movie. Go in, no, it won't be the original. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, or maybe it will, just not as great. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. It seems to be the yeah. original. <laughs> but I don't hate these live-action movies like you guys do. I agree they're pretty unnecessary. But for me, there's still something semi-interesting about seeing them live-action. You know, good graphics, good effects, different casting, stuff like that. But this one definitely looks more subpar than the other ones we've gotten. I don't think it looks bad. And I think this trailer is an improvement, but it definitely does not have me excited whatsoever. I actually forgot it was coming out until about a month ago. Honestly, I wish it looked just outright bad. You know what I mean? We have more fun with it. The trailer we got around the time of the Grammys was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Is this a high school play with Paul Giamatti from Big Fat Liar in it? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what am I watching here? This trailer, it doesn't look nearly as much of a disaster, but it just looks like the original movie. It almost looks like a sweeted trailer, like somebody on the YouTube made like a fan version trailer of what a live action Aladdin would look like. And it's like, congrats, it looks like that. But like, who cares? 
Did you say the YouTube? I, <laughs> All right, Spielberg. No, I'm still stuck on the Suicide Squad, so I'm, I, I'm adding <laughs> extra thes, I think. <laughs> Uh, I'm just mixing all of our news stories together. <laughs> but, like, what's really changed here? Like, besides, of course, Robin Williams, which Will Smith, no matter what he does, and I, I have to admit there is a joke in the trailer that made me chuckle. The Prince joke was cute. But, like, no matter what he does, he's going to pale in comparison to Robin Williams. But there's no differences, it appears. Difference isn't always better. Like, Beauty and the Beast added, like, 40 minutes, and all of the 40 minutes they added was, like, absolute garbage. So I don't want them to do that. <laughs> I would rather them stick to the story and just kind of be bland than add stupid stuff and make me stay there for two and a half hours. But like we found out today, we were like, okay, well, at least the parrot's not going to talk. That'll be different. And nope, the parrot's going to talk. (laughs) Iago is going to be voiced by Alan Tudyk. And I mean, again, a solid choice for that. I'm not saying that outright all the decisions they've made are bad. It's the decision to make the movie in general that's stupid and just a cash grab. Yes, ultimately it is a big cash grab. My biggest complaint throughout all this, but with Aladdin especially, just because of the characters involved, the original animation is so iconic just because of how you can draw your characters emoting. Like, you can have such crazy dynamic reactions in a way that you cannot do with a regular human face. In the animated movie, when Aladdin or the genie's jaw drops, they can literally drop to the ground. And that's fun and fantastic. In live action, all you can have is an actor's mouth open wide. It's not the same charm. And when you're taking all the fantastical elements of this story that a lot of people, including myself, have grown up with and loved, like converting an MP3 to an MP4, like it's, it's not exciting (laughs) Uh, now he's showing off i know how to rewind the vcr guys (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm just tired i'm just so tired of these (laughs) Uh, i'm looking at the poster right now and it looks like they just stole the monkey from pirates of the caribbean and the tiger from the jungle book the lost in translation of the facial expressions and everything you're talking about with like the human characters that applies to these animals too like is this a boo gonna be as fun or or the tiger sassy Right, the tiger's like, yeah, he's like his own character. I love mm-hmm. that tiger. Ugh, stupid CGI tiger. Anyway, Aladdin comes out around Memorial Day weekend. We can decide for ourselves what we think of that in the upcoming months. But anyway, we've got another Disney property to get into. So that will do it for our news segment. What do you think about all these news stories? Be sure to comment below and let us know. But for now, let's move into our highly anticipated review, Captain Marvel. So... Scrolls are the bad guys, and you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes. Noble warrior heroes. We found you. With no memory, you were reborn. I keep having these memories. Something in my past is the key to all of this. You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. That's a yes or no question. Yes. Would you like to know what you really are? You've come a long way, but you're not as strong as you think. I'm not going to fight your war. I'm going to end it. That was a snippet of the trailer for Captain Marvel, the 21st film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, of course, was released to gangbusters at the box office. 
a top five opening all time worldwide, which is the crazier part to me. But it makes sense because we're only a couple weeks away from Avengers Endgame, which will be the 22nd film, and part two of, of course, the big Avengers Infinity War. And Captain Marvel will play a big role in that. But first, we got to get to know Captain Marvel. Uh, directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who, of course, are known for indie films, nothing really huge. Their biggest one is the Ryan Gosling-led Half Nelson, which is a pretty solid flick. came out in the mid-2000s. Uh, Brie Larson is Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel. It takes place in the 1990s. She doesn't really know much about her identity when we meet her. She's part of this elite military group of the Kree, which are kind of these, like, space officers. We don't really get a sense of what they are, but it's, like, alien officers. And they fight mainly the Skrulls, which are these shape-shifting aliens that are apparently causing havoc throughout the galaxy. Carol's journey takes her to Earth, where she meets a young Nick Fury, played by a much younger-looking Samuel Jackson with the powers of CGI. And they go on kind of this buddy cop adventure mission. So obviously there's a lot riding on this movie because of its timing before Avengers Endgame. And just the fact that it's the first female-led MCU film, which apparently has a lot of people mad. But we're not going to go too much into the politics of the whole thing. We're just going to talk about the movie itself. How is Captain Marvel? Where does it fit in the pantheon of Marvel Cinematic Universe films? Let's start with Jake. What did you think preliminarily of Captain Marvel? It's a solid movie. It does a lot of things right. It's a little formulaic at times, but overall it does just a lot of good stuff. It's a feel-good movie. It's a good origin story. It's got a good character arc, a lot of growth, a lot of fun. There's some good comedy between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. It's got the very, you know, a very similar Marvel feel to it. And anybody who's disliking it probably doesn't have a very good reason because it's it's fun. Brie Larson's good. Samuel L. Jackson's good. Ben Mendelsohn's good. Jude Law's pretty good. I think he's his character could be better. But overall, it's just it's another rock-solid entry in the MCU. It's not quite up there with the best Captain Americas or Iron Man 1 or the Avengers or even Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther. It's not top tier. It's not even in my top 10. I'd say it's middle pack. That's still really good for Marvel. And the only other reason I can think people hating on it, and the reason I'm touching on that is because people are hating on it, is maybe where we were spoiled with movies like Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, Civil War. And this is just another rock solid entry instead of blowing us out of the water. But that being said, like it's a solid movie and it doesn't really do anything overly wrong in my opinion. Nate, what do you think? Uh, I thought Captain Marvel was overall fine. I was a little disappointed, partially because of what Jake just said. We've been kind of spoiled by some really good Marvel superhero movies lately. And... Obviously, we're all very excited for Avengers Endgame. The fact that this is coming out so close to it is such a weird decision on Marvel's part. But with all that hype going into Infinity War, this felt like such a weird sidestep. It felt like kind of like a filler episode in the middle of a really good binge on Netflix or something. The story's fine. It's just it's not what I was excited for. Now... Trying to take in isolation, and it's kind of hard to do at this point just because we've had over 20 Marvel movies now. But it's a solid movie. I think all the actors do very well. I loved Samuel L. Jackson in this. It's been a while since we've had him as a main character, but he is decidedly so in this movie. And it pays off because he's awesome. He's really, really fun. Brie Larson is kind of hit or miss for me. I think... 
she does fine, and I think she's acted fine. I think the character herself just needed something more. I feel like all the best Marvel heroes have some sort of flaw that they have to overcome, and she doesn't have as strong as an arc as, say, an Iron Man or a Thor. It's still solid. It's still good Marvel writing, just not their strongest work. And I think that's just kind of where I fall in this movie. It was solidly done. It's a good addition to the cast, but it is not a standout movie in my opinion. Right, and it's tough to grade it. It's a mixture of a phase one and phase two movie. Jake, you're right. It kind of suffers from the comparisons of recent films because they were on a roll. The Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers, Infinity War trio, that's like three of my top six Marvel movies right next to each other. Boy, were they on a roll here. And Captain Marvel is a step back from that. It's honestly probably towards my bottom five in Marvel movies. However, it's a fun, entertaining movie. The one it kept reminding me of a lot was the original Thor. I felt like it was sloppy at the beginning with a lot of the stuff it was trying to do, but once they get her down to earth and there's a lot of fish out of water stuff and there's some momentum forward with her story, because the big thing with Captain Marvel herself, kind of the thing it struggles with the most is that she doesn't even know who she is most of the time. So how are we supposed to care about her if she doesn't even really know what her roots are? That's a tough storyline to kind of balance especially when you do like amnesia stuff like this. And, and there are movies that have done it before. Like Nate, I know one of your favorites of all time is Memento and that's built mm. completely around amnesia, but you're still so invested, but it becomes really hard to invest in a Marvel protagonist that doesn't exactly have a full sense of who she is herself. And that doesn't come until later in the adventure. And that's the parts that are most enjoyable to me. And I think that's kind of what Brie Larson struggles with as well too. She doesn't really know who this character is until later in the movie. So when we first meet her, it's just kind of a mishmash of stuff. And it's relying on characters like Samuel Jackson and the comedy and that adorable cat. <laughs> and then hoping that Captain Marvel herself will catch up. And that's not a good way to do things. And Marvel always has been about making the hero's definitive qualities very clear first and then figuring everything else later. Here, it's kind of the inverse. The side characters and the antagonists kind of drive the action and have all the interesting stuff. I, I found all the stuff with the complicated politics of the Kree and Skrull world, much more interesting than how Captain Marvel herself fit into it. Yeah, I agree. It was so exposition heavy at the beginning, and it took so long to get the ball rolling. Brie Larson and the audience kind of following along in her boots, not sure who the character is, just has things constantly explained to her the entire movie. And that's never been a compelling way to make a film. You don't want people just telling you the story. You want to feel the story. You want to experience it as it happens. And just the nature of a flashback-heavy, amnesia-heavy storyline makes that really hard to pull off. And I don't think they did enough to support that kind of movie for this. Interesting. It sounds like I'm a bit of a, a high man. Agreed with the first 20, 25 minutes before she crash lands on Earth, I was a little bit nervous. I was like, I am not Same. overly enjoying this movie. It's very generic. It's a little bland. It's not exactly exciting. It felt like a TV movie. I thought we were in trouble. Yeah, I was kind of yeah. nervous for the first 20, 25 minutes. But it definitely picks up a lot when she gets to Earth. Her chemistry with Nick Fury, I think, is very good. Uh, you're right. Finding her identity may have been a bit of a struggle in terms of like a writing process because we don't know how to identify with her either. But at the same time, I think she does have some traits. She's very bold right from the start. She's a little unpredictable with her photon cannon things. Like, she relies on them a lot. 
I was still able to go with her and kind of get and follow her arc. And then I think it helps that she's finding her journey with Nick Fury the whole time. I think that really helped and made me engaged. The movie's more interesting when she has people to play off that are interesting. Like, I found a lot of the scenes with her and Jude Law, like, pretty flat overall because he's a big enigma, too. But when she's interacting with Samuel Jackson, Lashana Lynch, who does a really great job, I think she's an awesome counterpart and kind of a better sidekick than Jude Law ever is in the film. And when she's interacting with the main opposition, I think Ben Mendelsohn, as far as performances go, is the MVP of this movie. He's the leader of the Skrulls. It's another really good Marvel antagonist. They're on a roll with those. I thought even the Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, antagonist was really interesting. and Right, they're, they're trying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Better than Dark Elves. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, their formula is still in place. Like, it feels like this movie would go right next to Iron Man or Thor or even Ant-Man. As far as Brie Larson goes, generally I liked her. There were times where I didn't think she was great, and I think I pinpointed it a little bit. So Marvel is very, very known for being upbeat and fun and characters playing off each other and quips. I think she lacks comedic timing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because there are points where there's something written or played out clearly meant to be funny, and I just kind of sat there like that that didn't stick at all. Mm -hmm. I think she has good comedic timing in terms of like the slapstick or her like her body language. Uh, One scene that really stuck out to me, and it's a really minor one, but she's reading a newspaper and somebody's trying to talk to her and she like flicks the newspaper down, stares at the guy and flicks back up, (laughs) completely impatient with him. Yeah, I remember that. And no words said, but it's funny and her body acting is great there. But it's her, it's her quips, it's her one-liners that never really landed for me. Right, her Marvel formula needs work. <laughs> right. It also might go back to the directors a little bit, because I'm thinking back to who she has worked with in the past. She is very good in Scott Pilgrim, and that's Edgar Wright. That's true. She's very good in 21 Jump Street, and that's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Forgot about that. So she's been in comedies before and been funny in comedies. And I don't mean to put this on Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck. They're indie directors being asked to do a lot. And I think overall they do a pretty admirable job, but there are moments that they are clearly more invested and more interested and much better at little character interactions, little dramatic moments. And that's where the movie really is great. The problem is when they have to work with comedy like that and when they have to direct action because all of the action scenes look like they were shot in like a place where the electricity bill is running out. (laughs) It's almost impossible to follow some of this, and that's a big problem. Yeah, I actually, um, that was going to be my last kind of qualm with the movie also. There's no standout action scene like there are in a lot of Marvel movies nowadays. Even if they're not great action scenes, there's still ones you remember and go, wow. In Captain Marvel, there's only really one or two that I was like, that was really cool. We're kind of lacking Mm -hmm. some serious action scenes in a superhero movie, which is... Definitely a bit of a problem. Flashback to my thoughts in the Aquaman review, where we have a superpowered person, but their superpower on display ends up mostly just being punching people, or in this case, occasionally shooting a laser out of her hands. Marvel has excelled at using its powers in creative ways. It does not show here, mm-hmm. especially in a lot of the fight scenes that occur in hallways or spaceships Mm -hmm. or spaceship hallways. (laughs) It's all just punching, kicking, shooting a laser beam every now and then. Right. And it's lots and lots of cuts. 
This is coming from the same studio that had some awesome choreographed fight scenes oh, in yeah. Captain America movies. Black Panther had some really cool ones, too. Thor Ragnarok had a good yeah. couple fight scenes. This was cut, 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 cut. Like, not quite taken three level bad. Like, that's well, the gold standard of not, <laughs> what not to do. But there are definitely a lot of moments where they're cutting between two different players in the action, like Brie Larson in one hallway and Samuel Jackson in another. And I don't know where they are in relation to each other because it's just a generic dark hallway. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you about the usage of her powers. I think there's a story reason for it that I want to get into in a little while. Mm. We've only seen part of what they can do with her. But I think it's partially because the directors were uncomfortable and partially because they were kind of doing it on purpose. But we can get into that more in a bit. I think we should probably start pivoting towards spoilers there's only so much you can say because I want to keep as much of the story as a mystery as possible. Right. So let's get into our ratings here first. If you're just joining us for the first time, which is very possible, uh, the middle seats, we rate movies on a seat scale. If it's a movie we think has pretty much no flaws at all, cinema's highest standards, we give it a royal throne. If it's a movie that's really, really solid, has a couple of minor things that we would change about it, but we still really love it, we give it a plus recliner. If it's a movie with some significant flaws that kind of affect the viewing experience, but we still enjoyed it. We give it a wooden seat. If it's a movie that has a lot of flaws, but there are a couple things to save it from complete damnation, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if it's a movie that belongs where the kid in Slumdog Millionaire falls, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if it's a movie we think is worth seeing in theaters, we give it a little popcorn moniker. We can put it right next to the little rating. You know, just just picture that. So let's start with you, Nate. What would be your rating for Captain Marvel? Alrighty, I'm going to go middle of the road here with a wooden seat. It's still got the standard Marvel quality. It's still funny. It's still action-packed, has good performances, and it has a unique story. I will give it that. There were definitely intentional twists that I did not expect, and that made for a compelling story. But as a whole, it just felt flat where it should have excelled, and I wanted a more creative use of this brand new character that we've never met before, or at least done in a more compelling way. I definitely did not hate it. I just wished I could have loved it more. And that's why I'm going to go middle of the road. In terms of a bag of popcorn moniker, I don't think this is one that you absolutely need to see in theaters. Uh, there's definitely some cool sci-fi stuff that you're going to enjoy seeing on a big screen, but it's something that you could watch at home if you felt like it. That said... You better go see this in theaters if you want to be caught up for Endgame. Yeah, what the <laughs> so hell? This, yeah, for this real. is your homework. <laughs> You're not going to have time to get it on DVR or on demand, rather. Or VHS. Uh, before Endgame comes out. <laughs> or VHS. Unless the process accelerates amazingly mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Jake, what'd you think? I'm kind of in a bit of a middle place between two ratings. I'm going to say low plus recliner. And I would say. Like a small bag of popcorn. I'm even changing that now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so indecisive. We're getting that <laughs> We're changing the sizes. Because, like, oh, generally, I think you should see it in theaters, but I agree with Nate. If you missed it in theaters and there was no Avengers Endgame on the horizon, it wouldn't be the end of the world if you missed it in theaters. But with Avengers coming out soon, and it's a Marvel movie, and it still visually looks overall pretty good, and it's a crowd pleaser. I would say see it in theaters with Bag of Popcorn. It's still fun. It's certainly got its flaws. It's by no means a perfect movie. So low end, plus recliner. 
I think we're straddling the same point, Jake, but I'm going to end up on the other side. I'm going to give it a very cosmic, very beautifully looking wooden seat. <laughs> that drives Nate crazy. <laughs> I know it does. But does he make a chart of our reviews? I don't know what to tell him. <laughs> I need a numeric value. <laughs> I'll give you this numeric value. Out of the 21 Marvel movies, it's probably number 17 or 18, to be completely frank. Um, but I just so enjoy the 16 or 17 before it. That, like, that is not a knock on this movie at all. I think it is relatively entertaining. If this had come out in, like, 2002, it might be everybody's favorite superhero movie ever. But our standards <laughs> have just changed so much for the genre that, like, just merely good is not really good enough anymore. Especially with a movie that had so much to do here. It has to tie in the past, the present, and the future of the MCU all together. It has to set up a freaking alien war. It has to introduce us to possibly the front person for the next phase of Avengers. I mean, they want that to happen. So this movie was important. Right. And it delivers on expectations, nothing more, nothing less, really. So I would recommend it. Bag of popcorn-wise, that's tough. Because, like I said, it doesn't look great visually. And it might benefit from you being able to turn the brightness up on your TV at home. <laughs> but I still think you, you you probably get more out of it with a crowd and get to laugh at the jokes together. So I'll give it the bag of popcorn moniker. So two wooden seats and a very tentative plush recliner. That'll do it for our non-spoiler review of Captain Marvel. If you have seen the movie, which a lot of you already have, please join us in our spoiler section. If not, you should duck out now. Let's go into Captain Marvel's spoilers. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, I think as we all predicted, the big moment from the trailer where she's messing up all the warships, which we actually know to be Kree warships, not Skrull ones like we might have assumed they were, that was the big action moment for me. That was probably my favorite moment. And that comes at a very important point in the movie, because at that point she has realized her full potential as a hero. And kind of what I was alluding to before is that as bad as and annoying as the mystery of Carol's identity comes when attaching to the character, I think it works with how, like, she's just very repetitive with her powers in the first two-thirds. Like, she's clearly someone that has this gift but doesn't know how to use it because she doesn't really even understand why she has it. But, like, the ending, and I think the really most powerful part of the movie is that montage getting back up after falling throughout her life. I thought yeah. that was a really powerful ending moment, and that was the moment she became Captain Marvel to me. Where she has no one to answer to, she's unshackled, she's reborn, and there you can see the full extent of what she's capable of. And it's honestly terrifying, <laughs> for Thanos at least. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd in me was very happy to find out that we have another child of an Infinity Stone here following in the footsteps of someone on Vision, Scarlet Witch level or power. Yeah, so, that was a nice touch. And it's, it's a space stone, so it makes sense that she has light speed. My inner nerd was really happy with that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I think the... The weird thing here, and this isn't even really meant to be a criticism or a complaint, but it just was kind of odd from a storytelling perspective. If you want to say like her character flaw, like all Marvel characters have a character flaw, was that she was a little too rash. Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, Thor, they're all cocky and that gets them into trouble. And that's often their own personal antagonist in their respective movies. Right. And on the flip side, Captain America is like too naive for a while exactly yeah yeah They're, so everyone has a flaw and they need to overcome their flaw or find ways around that flaw to win in the end of the day what's kind of weird for captain marvel is that she's rash at the beginning of the movie and 
she's rewarded for being so in order to win at the end. Like, she's unshackled, and now she gets to be full rash and then destroy warships at light speed. Again, that isn't really meant as a complaint. It was just something that stuck out to me as, like, huh, that's a little different. And I don't know if it's as emotionally powerful as some other superhero origin stories. Right. I see what you're saying, but her ideals have changed as a hero, I think. When she finds out exactly what we find out about the scrolls, which was a nice reversal, by the way, them being able to turn around the whole, you know, the scrolls are the obvious bad guys, when it's really the Kree that are doing a lot of the persecuting. Yeah. Her worldview has changed, and she'll be more responsible with her powers. She's going full unbridled there because... She has to. She needs to blow up all the ships. <laughs> exactly. It totally makes sense. I think, like, you do see a shift in her character. She's not just this mercenary anymore. She's someone that's actually looking to change the world. Yeah, she's a leader instead of a trooper. Right, right, right. That's a really mm-hmm. good way to put it. Sure. I remember thinking after the movie ended, like, okay, she's clearly powerful and can take on pretty much anybody, but I'm not quite convinced that she's the most powerful Avenger. Like, I think Thor and Scarlet Witch and maybe, you know, one or two others can still give her a run for her money. I have a prediction for Endgame as far as that goes. They're going to do something early where she shows, like, how powerful she is. She bitch slaps Thor or something. Yeah, I'm assuming something happens. She's in a vacuum right now. We really don't know how she compares. They have to find a way to humble her at some point. But right now is not the time for that. That's not what the point of this movie is. Mm -hmm. I will say uh, to take a complete 180 on, you know, powers and action. I very much enjoyed that she's just her own person. There's no love interest going on. Like, she's got a friend in Fury, but there's no love interest to kind of help carry her. She just... She's doing her own thing. She's on her own journey. She's finding her own path. That's very much the strong, independent woman who don't need no man. Mm. Better than Wonder Woman in that regard. Because Wonder Woman's origin story is her running off with a man, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Captain Marvel, I was very happy to see that she didn't have a thing with Jude Law. She didn't have a thing with Nick Fury. There was no guy that came in. She was just like, I'm going to mess whoever up, and I don't need a guy to help. And that's what Brie Larson, I think, was talking about. I mean, she she drew a lot of controversy for this, but that was one of the main things she was talking about when she was calling this a feminist picture. Like, it's just about her. It's not about her dependence on anybody else other than, you know, figuring out the clues of her life. It's dependence in a story-driven way, not a romantic way. And that scene when she totally blasts Jude Law's character is awesome. <laughs> My whole theater yeah. erupted yeah. at the finale there because everyone yeah. was like, you aren't going to let him talk to you like that, right? And she totally proved us right. It was yeah, Jude Law's trying to bait her. You were never able to beat me hand to hand. Prove to me. She's like, I don't have to do anything. I kind of figured mm. that's what they were doing just based on the whole Indiana Jones formula. You know what I mean? It, it was that <laughs> moment again where he shoots yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. with the sword. Nice comparison. It, it wasn't terribly unexpected, but it was still awesome when it happened. You know, you live for those kind of moments in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Great moment. That's some of the stuff that I feel like I, I know where their flaws are, but I feel like they pull off a lot of other things really well. So I kind of leaned more positive. So let's actually talk about some other things that we liked. I adored Samuel L. Jackson here. I thought he was absolutely perfect in his role. And the de-aging stuff that they did on him was insanely good. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. We've seen CG alter people's faces, but this literally just looked like a younger Samuel L. Jackson. I couldn't notice the CGI at all, which is amazing. And, and Glass came out two months ago. Right. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's crazy, is that we just had a comparison of what he looks like old. Yeah. But even as a character, having, like, the fish-out-of-water situation while he was technically the tour guide being on Earth 
was just a really cool dynamic for me because he was just constantly being thrown all this new information and had to roll with the punches. And he did it with that classic swagger that just makes him so iconic as an oh, actor yeah. and made Fury all the more compelling in the movie. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. This has been another huge point of contention. How do you think about having the cat be the one to take out his eye? <laughs> I'm kind of torn. I always thought it would be something like super badass, but at the same time, it it is kind of a badass cat and it's funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn. They have like that one little gag toward the beginning of the movie where his eye gets injured in the car crash. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I almost wish that they expanded on that a little bit more, like had two, maybe three more points throughout the movie where his eye almost gets cut off or something like that. So we're, we're waiting for it and then it can be the cat. And then that's like a fun little comedic tie in. I feel like that was a little bit of a missed opportunity on the screenwriting's part there. But overall, I, I have no issue with it. Yeah, I liked it, to be completely honest, because it reminded me, and not to trigger Nate again, but it reminded me of the whole Last Jedi decisions where they just were like, oh, who is Snoke? Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, who really cares about what happened to his eye? We don't want the backstory to everything. An eye is a lot different than a whole character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really do feel like Ben Mendelsohn is the big acting MVP here. Just the amount of heart, sympathy he makes for the Talos character behind all of that makeup, too. Yeah. It just takes a really tremendously talented actor to do that, and he continues to show how talented he is. Don't really know why he didn't drop the Australian accent. Whatever, that's a minor <laughs> thing. Well, it's funny. He's he's a villain in, like, every movie, right? Pretty much. Yeah, he's a little typecast. He starts off as the villain, and it turns out they spin his story where he's more of just a victim trying to fight for his own people. Right. And he pulls that off really well. And even this movie as a whole, I was not expecting a twist of that nature in an origin movie of all things. Especially one that needed to fit so much lore and Avengers stuff in here. Right. So to introduce basically from scratch, like we've gotten hints at it from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but basically from scratch, the Krees and the Skrulls, and then for us to get on their side and then M. Night Shyamalan us there was definitely unexpected. It could have wowed me more, but right. not every movie's going to be able to pull that right. off. And like I was saying, the movie does a really good job at balancing all of the different MCU elements. Like, it kind of sets up Ronan the Accuser, of course, the big baddie from Guardians of the Galaxy. Who's still kind of a bitch, but... I kind of wish he wasn't in this movie. He looked so bad without the black eyeliner on him, you know? He looked like a baby Yeah, he looked kind of goofy. He's not supposed to be, like, a, a radical yet, you know what I mean? He's just a commander. Like, I get why... But still, I wish he did something with his makeup because he, he looked like he just dipped his face in chalk. <laughs> I, I could get the same effect if you give me enough time in a wet afternoon. <laughs> but then they also have Jaman Hansu's character with Jake. Do you want to out yourself here? Yeah. On that? <laughs> Embarrassingly so. I did not connect that Jimon Hansu is a pawn of Ronin in Guardians of the Galaxy. So when he shows up here, I was like, Wow, they're really just gonna cast him in like this the same exact universe, huh? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's there's really no effort to hide him at all. Yeah, I'm texting Jake after the movie and I'm like, wow, they connected that really well. He's like, wait, that's the same character? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I can't believe I didn't see that. Oh no. Free pass to just rip on me as much as you want, because I should have seen that. So let's talk post credits and then I think start to wrap up. Yeah, here. definitely. Yes. So the Avengers somehow have found the pager, but it turns off. They try to turn it back on. And then they just turn around. She's behind them, like Drax, standing very still. Huh. I thought it was a good scene. Well done. Instead oh, yeah, of yeah. saying Captain Marvel will return in Endgame, they actually showed her returning in Endgame. 
Right. Which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. I'm assuming that scene is in the movie. Yeah, I think they'll I think that'll be a direct scene or at least a variation of that scene. I was honestly by the time the credits started rolling, more excited for the post credit scene than I was when I first sat in the theater originally to watch the movie. Right. <laughs> I think a lot of people were, to be honest. I still saw people leaving the theaters right after it ended. Are we new? Have we been hiding? I don't understand why Do people we not don't learn? understand. <laughs> yeah. You are missing things in these movies when you leave before the credits. They even do you a favor by having a mid-credits scene so you don't have to stay for the entire yeah. thing. If you Right, know. they've made the important one the mid-credits scene now. That used to be the reverse. Right. I do have timeline questions about that because it looks like in all the Endgame trailers, Captain America has shaved his beard, which kind of implies that it's been at least a couple of weeks, but he's still got his beard in this scene. So does this take place right after Infinity War, like hours after Infinity War? Maybe Captain Marvel makes a comment on how his beard looks bad, and he shaves it off as soon as she shows up. It's possible. (laughs) That's how we know she's the most powerful Avenger. (laughs) But she makes him feel self-conscious. Yeah, the beautiful Chris Evans gets put down. (laughs) Uh, Well, I know we can't wait to talk about Endgame, but I think we should wrap up this discussion on Captain Marvel here. Jake, why don't you give your final thoughts? Captain Marvel is a solid movie. I probably like Wonder Woman better as far as female superhero in the last couple years go. But it's a good movie. does a lot of things right. It's certainly not perfect. I think it would have benefited from a bit more of an experienced director. There's certainly some, you know, some writing flaws here and there. There's some directorial flaws here and there. Brie Larson might miss a line or two. But it's still, I'd say, right in the middle of the pack with Marvel, which is not a diss. Their lower-tier movies are still decent. So their middle-tier movies are good, and their higher-tier movies are great. They still made another good quality movie to add to their resume. And I think it's very important in this day and age, in 2019, for these younger girls in this new generation come in and see this. I think that's very important. And I think it's, you know, a powerful movie for all kinds of audience members. And I think it's another solid movie for Marvel. And it's a pretty solid transition into uh, Endgame. Could have been better, but it certainly could have been worse. Nate, final thoughts. This definitely reminded me of the original couple of origin stories into the MCU. I wish this was stronger. It definitely has its good elements. It definitely builds on the Marvel world we've grown to love. Uh, But it definitely is not its brightest star. I wish that Captain Marvel's character was a little bit stronger, a little bit more defined. And I think that's mostly just because of how this movie is structured around the whole amnesia mystery. Who am I? What am I? Why am I here? That said... I think that she's going to be a good fit for Endgame. I'm excited for the character. I'm definitely not turned off by Brie Larson's performance. The other big pluses for me for this movie on its own is Samuel L. Jackson's work as a young Nick Fury. I think he's amazing. Uh, The rest of the supporting cast is all pretty good. I think my biggest complaint and my biggest takeaway is I wish they just were a little bit more creative with the fight scenes. They had shape-shifting scroll for the first half of this movie before they turned out to be good guys. I wish they did a little bit more stuff with that. They always end up just being generic fistfight scenes at the end, which is kind of disappointing. Mm -hmm. But overall, solid entry, just middle-of-the-road, lower-tier Marvel, wooden seat. We've gone over everything that I really need to. I just, I don't want people deterred by what might sound like a more negative tone. We're just trying to be as balanced as possible. You know what I mean? There are major things about Captain Marvel that we obviously had issues with. But 
there are a lot of things that do work. I think by the end, I am excited to spend more time with Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers. And I think Brie Larson does everything she can with an inconsistent script to make the character compelling. It's the kind of thing where Thor is good in the original Thor, but like as time went on, he became much more interesting and Hemsworth really grew into that role. I think the same thing is going to happen here. But this is a solid introduction. It's a pretty decent story. And for everything it had to do, it turns out just fine. And that's all we can really ask. That will do it for our review of Captain Marvel. Before we go, Mr. Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Metal Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. For any questions, comments, or updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We are bringing back our Freeze Frame spinoff show, of course, which takes a blast into the past about a movie that kind of has to do with an upcoming release. Our next review, we expect to be talking about Jordan Peele's Us, so we expect to be talking about Get Out on the next Freeze Frame. So keep your eye out for that. If you like this, please let all your friends know about it. Obviously, we're back and better than ever, and we're happy to spend another year of movies with you. That'll do it for us. For Jake Hensler and Nate Lungarini, I'm Andrew Auger. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.